Hello and welcome to this special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. I'm Father Adam Potter, and today we reflect on the 27th letter. We're talking about answers to prayers. Just a word of encouragement, we have only a few letters left, and so let's keep going. It's maybe easy uh, just with the length of this book and giving so much attention to each letter to get fatigued and just to keep going, right? We've got a couple left and just to really dive in as we get to a lot of really good insights, meet, and also to just remind you, these aren't just little topics, each letter. There's also a story. I was going to say real story. It's not a real story, but it is a real story. It's a fictional character, but it's it's real because as I've listened to many of you, this all strikes close to home. And so to follow the patient's journey uh, through this book and his own spiritual battles to see the end of the story. So let's dive into this letter. This is a a great one because we just see that Wormwood's efforts are just falling flat and not being effective towards his patient. So Screwtape is not happy. And because of the love interest that the patient has, it's causing him to have a greater prayer life, especially around petitionary prayers, asking God for different things. Now, oftentimes, whenever we think about prayer and the different types of prayer, petitionary prayer kind of gets lodged at the bottom. It's like, you know, we all ask for God things, especially whenever we're really hard up and need a lot of help and they're kind of dismissed as not being that great of a prayer but this letter really emphasizes this is a crucial part of prayer to be able to call out to God the Father with confidence that he hears us Uh, whoever knocks the door will be open whoever seeks finds right so that like we hear these words from Jesus telling us about the Father that we have and we need to go to that father with confidence. So in in this, maybe to just to consider where we find our own idea of petitionary prayer, different things that we ask for. Sure, there could be maybe a, a childish place of asking for only the things that we want. But there are also real things that we need to pray for. So as he's getting more intense with his prayer life, uh, screw tape invites Wormwood to distract him, distract him. And notice in the upside down world, screw tape admits that it is great when the patient throws the distraction away and hates it when they take the distraction and bring it before God. Got it? <laughs> Quote, once he accepts the distraction as his present problem and lays that before the enemy and makes it the main theme of his prayers and his endeavors, then... So far from doing good, you have done harm. Anything, even a sin, which has the total effect of moving him close up to the enemy, makes against us in the long run. End quote. So the the problem isn't the distractions. The problem is what we do with the distractions. That's kind of been a theme throughout these insights into the spiritual life. And as long as the patient apply this to you and me, as long as we take our distractions to God, 
all of a sudden, we allow them to be powerful in the way that we draw closer to him. Um, are there any connections here to our own prayer life? Do we see distractions this way? What happens whenever we're before the Lord and we have all these temptations to think about this person or this event or this possibility of, of what's going to happen? Uh, and so often we just see those as like getting in the way of our prayer life when in reality, maybe they're really important avenues for bringing us closer to the Lord. I wanted to reference one of my, uh, can I say favorite books? One of my favorite books on prayer is by Sister Ruth Burroughs. Uh, she's a Carmelite. I believe she's still living. And she wrote this incredible book called Essence of Prayer. And she actually wrote a whole chapter on distractions in prayer. And I just wanted to give you a couple insights that I found really helpful. Her one line says, Distractions are my unfailing companions at prayer. That's turning distractions upside down, right? Um, this idea of distractions not as bringing us away from the Lord, but being these companions at prayer. She goes on to describe just really in the, the poverty of coming before the Lord with utter... Um, uh, how does she say it? Just coming before the Lord with a real poverty and all the different things going on in her own life and then really struggling to understand and see the efficacy of her prayer, right? To know what God is doing in her soul in those moments of prayer are beyond her own senses and her, her own intellect. So, so often she just has to really trust. She says, my part, that little bit that I can do is simply never to be discouraged never to give up, even for a few minutes. I go on, she says, I go on refusing to take my head off God's breast. I'm thinking of Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son with his head pressed to, to his father's heart. And I believe that, that this obstinate, blind trust is what our Lord wants more than anything else. End quote. So, that that to me is just super heartening to appreciate, gosh, these possible distractions aren't meant to take us away from the Lord, but we could bring them to the Lord and allow them just in a, in a real confident way to be the means that I open up my heart, that I, I really make myself present to God as I am in whatever my emotional state is, whatever the things are that are going on in my life. These aren't things that get in the way. They actually can reveal who we are and to be able to bring those to the Lord. Allow our Father just to cast his loving gaze upon us in truth, in reality, and really bring us to a sense of real, true prayer. So, in that sense, we move then to the second paragraph. And, and this is really where screw tape takes a shot at those who are falsely spiritual. What does that mean? Kind of as I was hinting at the beginning of this podcast, it's those who would maybe see petitionary prayer as just only childish or only at the beginning. And maybe I would see myself as beyond petitionary prayer. I don't know if you've ever been there. I, I know a guy. Uh, he may be a priest, right? <laughs> those who would say, 
I'm never going to ask God for anything. And then like, I wouldn't want to bother him or like with my own little petitions or my own little needs. No, no, no. God, all, all I want, right? All I want is just for God's will or all I want is for just to praise God and to have communion with him in prayer. And this is nice, right? And the heart of prayer truly is union with God. It is to praise him and adore him just because he is worthy as he is, God himself. But God has told us to pray and to ask for things such as our daily bread, the health of the sick, and go on down the list. And so there could be a sense of false spirituality. Maybe we could call it pride that we wouldn't be willing to take a risk, so to speak. We wouldn't be able to humble ourselves before the Father and say, I need you in this concrete way. I've searched my life, um, and this is where I, I really could use you in my life. That now comes to a real heart of, of prayer that's grounded in relationship. Moving on uh, through this letter in paragraph 3, we see highlighted this dangerous skepticism that can creep in with petitionary prayer. It's skepticism on the part of the subject or the patient, right? But it's also a spiritual attack from the the enemy. And it was kind of summed up in this paragraph by a pithy uh, heads I win, tails you lose game. If you caught it, right, it it makes sense right away. We we know this. The idea is that If the thing that I'm praying for doesn't happen, then that's just more proof, more evidence that petitionary prayer doesn't work. God's going to do what he's going to do. He's already made up his mind. But if the thing does happen, then, you know, we start to look for natural causes to make sense of it and rationalize it as actually not even being an answer to his prayer at all. And Screwtape is crazy about this, right? In the good way that we would be driven far away from actually depending on God in real concrete, historical, personal ways. Um, There's a lot of examples of this. I'm thinking of a a cheesy joke that, I don't know, I always laugh at. I'm usually the only one laughing at my jokes. But uh, there's a story about a man who's super late for this really important business meeting. And so he's flying and coming in right at the buzzer, you know. And so he comes into the parking lot and it's just packed. Every, every single spot is taken. And he does one lap and he does a second lap. And he finally just calls out to God, God, I need you. If you find me a parking spot, I will give you my life. I will start going to mass every day. I will start praying every day. I will start being a good husband, a good father. And, um, and then all of a sudden, before he gets to the end of this prayer... Right by the front door, there's a car that starts to back out. And the man cries out to God, it's okay. I found one on my own. (laughs) And uh, this is a cheesy joke, but it's great because it's so true. We do this all the time. Like this real cry to God, asking him to intercede. And as soon as he does, we just dismiss it. (laughs) We look for natural causes to make sense of it or... Um, just to not actually allow God to answer our prayers and to see the ways that he actually wants to love us and show us his providential care. Does he care about a parking spot? Some people might say no. 
why not? Why not? Uh, I rejoiced with the family when I was uh, going to find something to eat. And we prayed, Hail Mary, full of grace, help us find a parking space. And we turned the corner um, off the main road. And right there, there was this wide open spot that couldn't have been more convenient. I don't know. Does Mary care? Why not? What happens whenever we don't get our parking spot? Huh. Does that mean God's not there? Does that mean they don't care? Does that mean they're not listening? Does that mean they want us to suffer? No, right? Of, of course not. Of course not. But to be able to bring the Lord, to bring our Blessed Mother, someone was lamenting about St. Anthony. How did he get pulled into like anytime we lose anything, we, we call upon him. He's this incredible hero of a saint. And yet anytime, uh, yeah, we lose our car keys, he's called upon. But why not? To be able to see the true communion of saints, the intercessory power of the saints, to be able to use their natural gifts that they had on this earth for a supernatural intercession to bring us to know and love and depend on God. So maybe just to answer that question, what happens whenever we don't get our way, we don't have our our prayers answered? This is where we can be invited to greater trust, that God is working to bring about something even greater, to continue to trust him. Like, even if I don't get that parking space, God's working something greater. Maybe it's further conversion. I need to actually get to my, get up earlier and get to my meetings on time. Um, or whatever it is to work on the virtue of patience. We could all use more of that. You get the idea, right? That God is always working and desiring to answer our prayers in ways that bring us closer to him. In the fourth paragraph, we see that there's this tough integration of, on the one hand, God's reality, seeing all of time as one present now, one present moment, and integrating that with our reality that only sees time. That's that's all, all we experience. And so we, we tend to think that's all there is. And so the idea of praying for something like the weather, says screw tape in this letter, seems completely determined by pre-existing factors. The truth, though, right? The truth is that God harmonizes prayers of our present even with the circumstances that have happened well into the past. For example, right? That's just like, that's one example. That it's all present to God as one moment. And so just because God knows it, does not mean that he controls it or predetermines it. Just to see what is going to happen, you know, from God's perspective, does not mean that there is no free will. There's a great medieval philosopher called Boethius. He gets a shout out in this letter, Screwtape, saying, thankfully, so many people have forgotten about Boethius. Um, But he talks about this very concept in a way that I will be forever grateful in my studying of medieval philosophy. He described this integration as a point in the middle of a circle. And so on the circle, you have the creation that is in space and time, kind of going along chronologically. And so as you move along the line of the circle, that goes all the way around the point, equidistant from the point, you have our experience of time passing. 
That's our perspective. From the perspective of the point right in the middle of the circle, you get a, a glimpse, a metaphor of God's perspective of that chronological time, that he has an equidistant access to each point on that circle. And so for us, what seems like, well, this is this moment, which was different from last year, which is going to be way different than next year, to God, who has equal access to every moment on that time, on that circle, it's all present to him at the very same time. And this is where we can start to see where the example was with weather and maybe to us moderns that just sounds so crazy but it could be helpful too that god who has equal access to every single point in time could already put into motion the very pre-existing factors that would bring about the sunny day that I've been praying for, for this coming Easter coming up, that we could just have a little bit of sun and please no snow or rain, you know, what, whatever it is. God can do that because he sees all of the pre-existing factors of that make for a sunny day at the same time that he sees my prayers in the present moment of this recording in 2022 of Holy Week, you know, so he can put those together and allow them to harmonize and bring about the answer to my prayers and yours. The fifth paragraph is where Screwtape in all of his uh, cynicism says, the good thing is people have forgotten about Boethius. The only people who do know about him are the intellectuals, but don't worry. They're all caught up and corrupted by the historical point of view. Did you catch what the historical point of view is referring to? This idea of when a learned learned man is presented with any statement of an ancient author, the one question he never asks is whether or not it's true. <coughs> Quote, to regard the ancient writer as a possible source of knowledge, to anticipate what he said could possibly modify your thoughts or your behavior. This would be rejected as unutterably simple-minded. And since we cannot deceive the whole human race all the time, it is most important thus to cut every generation off from all others. End quote. Okay, do we see what's happening there, what's being emphasized? First of all, I think this has a lot of relevance to us today. We are so quick to dismiss the intellectuals, the authors, the people of the past as being caught up in their own space and time, their own context, their own history. They weren't woke enough. They didn't know what we know now about science, about evolution, or about, you know, like whatever it is, fill in, fill in the line. And we just kind of place ourselves in this pedestal and aren't able to really appreciate and listen to anything that people of the past would ha- actually have to offer for us. And so this type of breaking off one generation from the last is a great tactic because there are different ebbs and flows throughout history of when the human race is more prone to believe in God, to trust in him. And I would even just say more plainly, see reality as it actually is. And so the more that 
the generations can be cut off from the previous ones that have had great insights into what's true. Don't let them ask whether or not it's true. Then all of a sudden, we're able to be even more isolated and prone to these temptations from the evil one and caught to really see this time, this existence as the only reality and missing the supernatural infusion of God's grace at every single moment. So what are some takeaways? I'm challenged to really turn to the Lord with uh, some new petitionary prayers and to, uh, yeah, come to the Father with greater confidence than I have before. And hopefully you can too. We all know uh, situations, people that really need prayers. And sometimes we just don't want to get our hopes up or, or something like that. We don't want to be disappointed, but to really go before the Lord and praying for that person in this situation and to not be afraid to really ask, what is it that I want to see happen? This all has to be in the context of praying for God's will, the ultimate salvation of every soul or every particular soul, right? And yet that's not to dismiss that the Father cares. The Father sees everything. And he really desires our, our well-being. So let's pray. Uh, pray in a different way. The distractions can be our companions in prayer. That we can plead before the Father in heaven who knows us, loves us, and desires to bring us to himself. Let's pray for one another for spiritual protection. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Drybones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. God bless you all. Stay strong. Let's keep one another in prayer, and I look forward to being with you next time. God bless.